Pulp MX Network production. To this day, when I hear that song, I see you standing there on that lawn. Discount shades, store bought tan, flip flops, and cut off jeans. Somewhere between that. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's industry seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Pro Glow Wash, Works Connection, Bass Foundry, TL Speed Shop, Concept Coatings Design Coat, Grandstone Boots, and Fly Racing. Welcome to the Industry Seating Podcast. My name is Jason Thomas. It is December 28th, and we are almost a week away from the inaugural, well, not inaugural, I guess the debut round of the 2024 Monster Energy Supercross Series, and I, for one, am excited. We filmed the SMX Insider Show that was a little preview show this morning. That should come out next week, I think next Thursday, so right before the race. Uh, this podcast will obviously come out much sooner than that, um, and that's what this podcast is going to be about. I'm going to preview 2024, kind of what I expect to happen, what do I think from each rider. I'll kind of give notes on each each guy, a little bit similar to the power rankings, but not necessarily in order. Just I just want to touch on each guy and tell you where I'm at what I think is going to happen with them, uh, what I would be watching for, what I think are really important uh, things that they need to either improve or be mindful of as this championship approaches and unfolds. Before we jump into that, thank the sponsors, Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Concept Coatings Design Co., Works Connection, Pro Glow Wash, TL Speed Shop, International Vet MX Series, Grant Stone Boots, and Fly Racing. Thank you to all of them for being on board. We'll see what 2024 brings as far as sponsors and our partners, but uh, very happy to be involved with all of the companies that I've been involved with uh, since this podcast got launched. So uh, let's jump into this thing. 250 class, I'm not going to go through every single rider, but I think it is important to talk about the contenders and who I think realistically has a shot at this title. Now, there was some news recently that I didn't know until this morning, but it looks as if both Nate Thrasher and Jordan Smith will be joining the West Coast crew on Monster Yamaha Star Racing. So that's a pretty big development for the 250 class. Uh, you look at Nate Thrasher, I mean, he was legit last year, right? Like, he gets hurt in Atlanta, you know, big injury, dislocated hip, um, torn ACL, like, really bad, really bad deal, right? Uh, so he's been out since April something. Now, he should be 100% from that, I would think. Uh, I was talking to some people this morning, and they're like, man, I can't believe he's racing West. And I'm like, yeah, but, I mean, that's like seven months of healing time. And seven months is a very long time for – for injuries to heal, you know, like broken my leg, ACLs, all those things. And you're talking four or five months. So seven months, I would have to think that he should be good to go. Um, so it really wasn't that shocking. I just didn't know that he was planning on doing West. As good as he was on the East Coast last year, I, I figured they would put him there as well. But the more I think about it, they've got Hayden Deegan on the East Coast. So maybe they look at Thrasher 
as their best shot to win. And, and of course, Jordan will be really good too. Um, but they're, they are strategizing how to best attack this championship. So on that, that front, it does make a lot of sense when I stopped and kind of thought about the, the layout and how they're going to position their guys. The other three that I think will be in contention are Joe Shimoda, RJ Hampshire, and Levi Kitchen. Now let's talk about each one of them individually. And when you think about Joe Shimoda, right, what has his MO been? It's been a lot of struggle early on, crashes, inconsistency, not good results, and then slowly gets better, slowly gets better. And then by the end of every championship, he's as good as or better than anybody on the racetrack. Like he's winning motos, he's winning overalls. He's that good, right? He was almost your SMX 250 world champion last year. The key for Joe this year, in my opinion, will be for him to start fast. He needs to come out of Anaheim, show everybody that he's the man to beat and get a good result, like first or second place in the opening round. I think that's critically important for Joe because he has not been able to do that. Come hell or high water, doesn't matter indoors or out, he has not been able to do that. So I I just think it's so vitally important for Joe to kind of break that cycle and start fast and almost prove it to himself that he can do this and this is going to be, you know, his year. Who knows what will happen the rest of the series. I just think he has to start off on the right foot like that if he wants it to go his way. You know, he switched to Honda HRC, which I think is is going to be a very good move for him. He's going to have a ton of attention and focus and everybody working towards getting him good results instead of, you know, the the lots of riders that are on uh, Monster Energy Pro Circuit Kawasaki. Not that there's anything wrong with that team. I think Mitch Payton has improved that motorcycle quite a bit, and it's certainly capable of winning. I just think Joe needed a change. He was not happy there. That is an undeniable fact. He, he really wanted out. He wasn't happy with Kawasaki. He wasn't happy with the team. And I don't know the specifics. I don't know the things that were said or the way things went down, but I'm very confident in saying that he wanted to make a change. So for that fact alone, it was probably the right thing. Now look at RJ Hampshire, okay? His results last year were so much better than I think most people realized. If you take out Anaheim 2, which was a complete mess, crashes, DNFs, like it was it was a disaster. You know, it was a triple crown, but it was by far his worst race of the year. You take that race out, and then you go to East Rutherford, which was the showdown, East-West showdown, where he tried to run it in on Jet in the last corner. Take those races out of the equation, okay? And, and the East Rutherford one was a real anomaly because he was in third place, right? He would have gotten third had he not tried something stupid there. So he rode a really good race outside of a really bad decision in the last corner. Every other race of his series or of his Supercross campaign, he got second place. And guess who won or was ahead of him in those races? Jet Lawrence. So if I'm RJ, I'm approaching this series and I'm kind of taking it all in, looking at who's going to be competitive, who do I have to deal with? And of course, you know that Joe's going to be good. Levi Kitchen's going to be good. Now you have the addition of Thrasher and Jordan Smith. But you have to like your chances against those guys compared to what you had to deal with last year in Jet. And I talked to him, you know, on camera and off about it. And he's just like, man, like, I have to deal with this guy who might end up being one of the best ever. Like, that's who I have to race in the 250 West series. And I could empathize with that, right? Like, he's just trying to find a breakthrough and win that championship that 
he really hasn't been able to kind of put it together. Like he hasn't gotten robbed of it. He hasn't quite been good enough. But I think he feels like his time is now. And, and last year, he could probably make the same claim, but he had to go up against this juggernaut that was Jet Lawrence. The good news is there are no more Lawrence brothers in the 250 class. So he, has, he doesn't have to deal with either one of those two all year long in 2024. And if I'm him, I love the setup. He doesn't even have to deal with Hayden Deacon for right now, right? He'll deal with him a couple times in showdowns, and he'll deal with him all summer long. But this is his best chance to go win a West Coast Supercross Championship. Bar none. Doesn't mean he will. He's still got to deal with some really fast guys. But if you're looking for your best opportunity, this has got to be it. You're dealing with Joe, who really hasn't had any Supercross success. You're dealing with Levi Kitchen, who we'll get into in just a second. You're dealing with Thrasher, who's coming off a big injury. And you're dealing with Jordan, who's never been able to be consistent. So we'll see, right? But if I'm RJ, you've you know, you're never going to have it handed to you. You're always going to have to go win it. But this is a great chance for him to go do it. Now, the aforementioned Levi Kitchen, he is a quandary to me. And I'll tell you why. Uh, sometimes when I watch Levi Kitchen, I'm like, this guy's going to win. And he's going to win a lot. And he's going to win titles in the 250 class. And then other times I watch Levi Kitchen, I'm like, I don't know if he's going to keep a factory ride or not. Like, he looks really out of place like he's he's floundering around in 12th place out here I, I don't and I don't know why like he is so much better than this level that he's showing us right now so that's where he's gonna have to sort that out and, and I don't know how he does that I don't know what the magic potion is that will snap him out of that but he can't turn in those weirdo rides where he can't get out of his own way like he, he will simply give up too many points in a short series, you're talking about, you know, eight, nine, ten rounds, something like that. You can't have just really bad nights. There's not enough margin for error for that. You don't have enough racing to offset that. So we'll see if it was a team thing. You know, it's hard, really hard to point to an equipment thing. He was on Monster Yamaha Star Racing, which everybody thinks is kind of the best bike. You know, obviously, an engine department, he had the best engine. So I don't, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm kind of going in with a question mark because I know he's capable. It's not a talent or an ability question. That, that is beyond reproach for me with Levi. It is can his mind, body, and just being present every Saturday night, can all of those things align in a way where he puts a whole series together? And we really haven't seen him do that ever so until I see him do it once, I'm always going to question it. You know, I don't know that he's going to be the best guy across the West Coast Championship. I think he can, which is saying a lot more than I, I would say for most riders. But he's going to have to show it to me because I've just seen it too many times. And I'll give you an example. Unadilla this year, I don't remember if it was the first moto or the second moto, he was unbelievably good, right? Like he was undoubtedly the best rider on the track wins the moto and you're just like yep that is Levi Kitchen that is the real deal that guy can win any 250 race he signs up for and I don't think anybody would have argued that coming off that moto we take a few days off everybody goes home we reconvene at Bud's Creek and I watch him all day long battling in like 13th place and I don't know why I, I he is simply better than that and, and those are the type of weekends and days that'll absolutely kill you in a championship. 
And I know he knows that I talked to him privately about it. And he just kind of shrugs his shoulders. And he's like, I don't know why. Like, I don't understand how I could be so good and then so mediocre. Like, I, so that's the tough part, right? Because if he could point to something and say, nope, it was this. I made the wrong choice on setup or I was sick or I got in a fight with my girlfriend or whatever. I don't care what the reason is. As long as you have one and you know how to diagnose it and fix it, great. Then, then that's going to give me the confidence to say he's going to be better. But when you don't know, that's really tough because who's to say that won't happen multiple times again in 2024 and take him right out of a championship. So that's, that's really my only question with Levi. It's, it's nothing else. It's not equipment. It's not talent. It's nothing. It's just sometimes there are starts in question and sometimes there's just these uninspired rides that he puts in and uh, he's going to have to sort that out. Big picture, you know, for the long term, he should figure, he try to figure that out now because it's only going to get worse. If he moves into the 450 class, you're going to be dealing with a lot deeper fields and your off days are really going to punish you. So that's my 250 class. I'm going to pick RJ for the title. I have zero conviction in it. I really don't because I think Joe Shimoda could be right in the mix here too. Um, and I'm, I'm a big Joe fan, so it's hard for me to, to pick against Joe. Um, but I, I just think sometimes it's, it's your year. And, and I think that might be the situation for RJ. Um, we all know that if RJ has any sort of issue, it's crashing. So can RJ stay upright enough to win this championship? That'll be the question. It won't be, can he go fast? It won't be, can he get good starts? It will be, does he throw his motorcycle 50 yards down the racetrack in the middle of a main event? That's going to be the question. So you probably already already know that, but it's really the only question mark I have surrounding RJ and whether or not he's the champion. So that's 250 class. Let's jump into the 450s. And these are really in no particular order. Um, I just kind of went by a little bit of a level of importance, I guess. Um, but I didn't put a whole lot of thought in that. But I will start with Chase Sexton. And it's going to be a little bit of uh, kind of pros and cons and, and how I see this going. And for Chase, he's your defending champion, right? And you can say he backed into it. Eh, whatever. I, I don't buy that. I don't think anybody is ever handed a championship. Because you could also point to the crashes that he had where he tossed away 35 points. And those are 35 points that he lost due to crashes, not anything else, right? So take his position that he was in and then the position that he finished after crashing. That's how we kind of deduced that number. And he was only down 14 going into uh, the race that Eli bowed out of in Denver. So it's not like he got so lucky and, oh, my God, I can't believe he you know, just backed into this thing. Like you, you take those points back where he crashed out of the lead, and he has a pretty big lead going into that Denver round. Um, and I'm not trying to say that Eli was lucky to be up either. I'm just painting a picture of saying that Chase was much faster and in much better situations to capitalize on the championship than it looked like going into, into that Denver round. Uh, so that's something we need to watch for. Can he fix those mistakes? Can he avoid those big crashes that left 35 points on the table? I don't know if he can or not. You know, he was kept pointing to the motorcycle saying, I'm not doing anything to cause this. The motorcycle is doing something wrong. I, that's not for me to decide, right? I would say it's tough to believe when you watch Jet how 
stable and predictable his bike looked. You know, maybe it was the setup, maybe it's Chase's riding style, um, but it's a lot of times, and I've mentioned this on this podcast, Ricky Carmichael would say, hey, if you know a bike has a tendency to do something, you have to be ready for that tendency to pop up. You can't just pretend that you don't have any experience with that same thing, or it's just going to bite you over and over and over. And that's what ended up happening to Chase. Now, thankfully for him, he was able to overcome it. He got, he caught a break with Eli's Achilles and he also just straight up won enough races where he was able to, to get the job done. And he comes in as your champion. Now going in on this new KTM, right? We all know he switched from Honda HRC to Red Bull KTM. And there's a lot to unpack as to why we've talked about it. And you probably already know that, you know, all the things he didn't like about the front end of his Honda, the kind of warrants takeover of Honda HRC, right? I don't think he wanted to be the third wheel in that truck all the time. And, and I, I get that, right? Because you think about, he, there's two brothers, there's his, their agent, also Jacob Hayes is their assistant. Uh, the dad, the mom, they're all the friends, like everybody's going to be surrounding that Lawrence camp. And then you're going to have Chase, who is your defending champion with the number one on his bike. And he's going to be all in the middle of that. Like he's not going to want to be in the middle of that, right? He's going to want to do be doing his own thing with his own mojo and his own people. So I can certainly understand why he would just kind of want to get away from that. Now, the question is getting onto this KTM that a lot of other riders haven't really liked. Like, I don't think that Aaron Plessinger or Malcolm Stewart or Christian Craig or Cooper Webb or any of them really have been singing the praises of that KTM chassis. And the Husky and the KTM chassis are the same, right? So I've heard from people that would know that Chase has been struggling with the bike. He's still having a tough time. And that's as of today. Like, this is late December, and he's still struggling to find comfort and, and really get along with the KTM. So that's not a great sign. You know, you really, at this point of the year, you should have everything dialed in. You really shouldn't be guessing about settings. The only thing you should really kind of be curious about is if uh, kind of changing conditions, right? Like, you know, your setup, but if the, the dirt changes, it gets slippery. Um, you get a track that's really soft. How's the bike going to respond? All those variables are really the things you should be worried about, not your base setup. That's, that should have been figured out long ago, and he should be locked in just trying to lower his lap times at this point. And I don't believe that's the case. I think he's still kind of in this no man's land of trying to find comfort on the new KTM. So something to watch for. Let's see how he shows up at, in Anaheim. It's just not going as smoothly as I think he was hoping it would be. Now, Eli Tomac comes in off that big injury. You know, I think he's okay, right? He, he seemed like he was fully healthy when I talked to him in December, early December in Anaheim. But I'm, my only real question with him is, will he be able to find the intensity that he's had in the past and that's required to win? Because that's the one thing, and, I, and I'm going off my past experiences, and I've also you know, I've watched a lot of other riders over the years. When you come off of a big injury and you haven't raced in a long time and you've been sitting on the sidelines and you're a lot older, now, then, you know, if this injury happened when he was 20, I wouldn't be as concerned with this. It's really hard to get back to the edge, that edge of risk and intensity and being willing to, to kind of push the envelope. It's a really hard place to get back to once you've had a big break. And maybe my experience was different than others, but that's what I was really challenged with was that very last couple of percent of your capability on speed. 
It was getting back there. And, and we're going to have that question answered soon enough. But that's really the only thing I have circled with Eli is can he be that same Eli Tomac that we've come to know and love? Can he have that beast mode when he needs it? Does he have all of that explosiveness uh, and pace when it really counts? And if he does, then sky's the limit in 2024 for Eli. Jet Lawrence, as I said, there's no real rhyme or reason to how these guys are slotted into here. But uh, Jet, we all know, is a juggernaut. End of story, right? He is probably the most exciting thing to happen to the sport in the last decade, at least, maybe longer. I don't know how you could really argue against that. But this kid has it all. Charisma, good-looking kid. His riding style is just incredible. Um, Australian, right? So you have that that global reach. Um, I, I don't know what more you could ask for, right? Like Ken Roxon was this same thing a decade ago. And that's kind of what I compare it to is the same, you know, good looking kid fast from another country. Um, this, all these new techniques that are really changing the game. Uh, there's just a lot, a lot of similarities and a lot of parallels to draw between Jet and Kenny. I think Jet's better than Kenny. Like, I don't, I don't think you can really argue it. You know, I think Jet is going to do a lot of things that Kenny couldn't. The question is, does he come in and win the Supercross Championship in his first try? I don't know the answer to that. Now, I don't know how anyone could unless you have some sort of farmer's almanac from the future. But I can tell you he's going to be someone to that's going to cause a lot of problems for anybody that is champion. Uh, you look at his consistency, his ability to get good starts, his ability to kind of suss things out, like figure things out on the fly, manage races, understand what's holding him back and address it. Uh, and, and I'm talking about like during the day and also mid-race, like mid-main event. He just has a lot of kind of feathers in his cap that most racers don't and never will. And we're talking about a kid that's 20 years old. You know, that's the scariest part of this thing is he has so much ahead of him to learn and improve upon. I don't have to spend a lot of time on Jet, right? We all know what he is and what's coming. We just don't know if it's going to be fully developed this Supercross season or not. But I, I did pick him to win the championship. I, I just, I kind of refused to pick against him. And that's where I'm at. It, it wasn't so much that I wanted to pick for him as I just refused to pick against him. And I don't know if that even makes sense, but that's kind of where I landed. Ken Roxon is next on my list. And I think Kenny will be much better this year. Because when I watched Kenny at A1 last year, he looked pretty rough, man. I, I didn't like what I saw. He looked uncomfortable. He didn't look like he knew what to do with the bike. Um, he looked very un-Ken Roxon-like, and, and that's the best way I know how to describe it because Kenny has a very distinct style. He looks like he was built to ride a motorcycle, and for anybody who watched Kenny at A1, you're kind of like, hmm, this isn't, this isn't really him. Like He just looks different. He looks stiff. He looks robotic. Not in a way I've ever seen Kenny ride before, um, and, and he's kind of grown out of that. He's gotten used to the bike. He doesn't look the same as the Honda to me. I don't think he ever will on the Suzuki. It's just a different bike. Um, he doesn't have the same kind of fluidity as he did on the Honda. But I think the speed and the, the pace and the ability are back there, right? Like most of everything that he had as far as capability on the Honda is kind of has found its place again on the Suzuki. That's not to say the top end speed will ever be the same because when Kenny was right and when Kenny was at his best, he was the best in the world for a while. You know, you look at 2017, before he got the big injury with his arms, there was no one in the world better than him. I stand by that pretty firmly. Um, and then it's, it's been 
it's just been a battle ever since to be his best self again. But I think we're close. I think we're as close as we've been in a long while for Kenny being back on form. So to see him win the first round at A1 wouldn't shock me in the very least. Now, I don't know how the championship goes with that, right? That's anybody's guess with his health and the longevity of it. But I think A1 is, is wide open for Kenny to come in and impress. Next up, Cooper Webb. And Coop is a guy that we really need to have some patience with because that this is how Cooper Webb operates. I don't expect A1 to go extremely well. I don't expect really the month of January to go extremely well. I think Cooper just needs to kind of hang in there, get good results, try to be in the top five. If he can steal a podium, fantastic. If he can't, just stay in the mix. And really what he wants to do is he wants to look up in mid-February, end of February, and be like, okay, I'm not very far out. I'm 14 points away from the lead. They're right ahead of me. I just have to turn it on when it's time to turn it on. And remember races like Tampa last year, races like Detroit. He's going to have his moments. The key will be when he finds his confidence, the tracks come to him, he finds his best form, what does the championship point situation look like? That is going to be the key because I don't have any doubt that he's going to get it figured out by midway. I just think the first half of the season might be rough. And that's not some big revelation that I'm coming to because we've just seen it time and time again. This is what Cooper Webb does in nearly every championship. So I'm just going to go ahead and assume that's what he's going to do again in 2024. And, and I really haven't seen anything to dissuade me of that. He hasn't shown us a whole lot in the offseason or at the SMX playoffs. So I think we're going to get a lot of the same. Jason Anderson, he's got that brand new 2024 Kawasaki, which he says is a much uh, better platform than the 2022 and 2023. I've got some conflicting information. Um, he was kind of saying that the BFR shock or BFRC shock was causing him a, a lot of problems in 23. But then I've, I've talked to other people that said they didn't really run it most of the time. Like he was on the other shock a lot of the time. So I don't really know what to believe or what to think. But I do believe that this 24 uh, bike is better. I've talked to Jeremy McGrath. I've talked to Chris Kiefer. I've talked to a lot of people that have ridden it and would know they are experts in this arena. And they just said it's an easier bike to ride. It's more forgiving. It does things a little bit easier. So let's see if Jason Anderson can use that bike to be better. And that's what he said in, you know, at the media days. He's like, when I had to push the pace higher, to a place where Eli and those guys were, were going, like pace-wise, I couldn't do it. My bike just would not respond, and it kept putting me on my head. So when I say that the 24 bike is easier to ride, that's what I kind of mean. Like when he pushes the envelope, will a more forgiving motorcycle allow him to push the pace higher? And that's what I'll be – that's kind of what he said, and that makes a lot of sense logically to me. So that's what I'm going to be watching for. Justin Barsha. I don't really know what to think about Barsha, right? He's a notoriously fast starter, right? So for him to come out in Anaheim and be on the podium, battle for the win, that doesn't surprise me at all because that's what he typically does. This is a rider that won Anaheim three times in a row. He knows what to do when there's the most pressure and the most nerves on these riders. He is not affected by it. That's why you see he and Ken Roxon always up front at A1 is because they just know how to process the anxiety and the pressure that A1 presents. Some people can't. Some people don't really ride their best in that scenario. Think about Eli Tomac. He's a guy that usually doesn't ride his best in that situation. Now, 2023 was an anomaly. He won the race. He looked fantastic. 
But in years past, he's kind of gotten off to a slow start. So it's a, it's a little bit of personality. It's a little bit of uh, just the way people handle situations. And, and are they looking big picture? Are they, are they trying to break out of the blocks and win right away? I think that Justin Barsha could come in and surprise. The question is, how healthy is he? You know, he's obviously suffered injuries throughout the whole season. And then, and then at uh, L.A. in September, he got hurt again. So I don't know where he is as far as, like, preparation, health, being 100%, having that top-end sprint speed. Like, all those things take time to kind of get back into form. And I just don't know where he's going to be on that. But if he is ready, look for him to be a guy that could come out swinging right away. Malcolm Stewart is probably the biggest – or the most common name on the lips of those that have seen him ride. Uh, if you talk to anybody around Baker's factory or the Husky track in California, KTM, they're all talking about how fast Malcolm is going. And it's not that hard for me to believe. We've always known that Malcolm has a lot of speed to burn, but it just seems like whatever track he goes to, wherever he's riding, whoever he's up against, he's kind of showing everybody what's up. And so that's something notable. Doesn't mean that he's going to go win races or win the championship or anything. It's just something notable. It's something we need to keep an eye on. Because if he comes out swinging and, he, and he's podium the first few rounds or something, we're going to be able to point back to that and say, okay, we, we knew that he was on form and this is playing out. But if he comes in and struggles, he doesn't have a good opening round, maybe the first two rounds don't go to plan, there's going to be a lot of head scratching, both from everybody watching and also him, because he's had such a great offseason. He's going to wonder – why that didn't translate into the results column in January. And I don't know that I'm going to have an answer, and I don't know that he will either. It's just something that we're going to watch unfold. And it's going to be interesting because most guys don't have that notation. You know, they don't come in saying everybody pointing to him saying, that's the guy to beat. Like, that's the guy with the most pace right now. But he is that guy. Make no mistake, he is the guy that everybody's pointing to as like, he's the fastest guy right now. And, and you know, it's it's hard when I say that, because I don't mean he's faster than Jet. I don't mean he's faster than Tomac. Those guys aren't riding against each other. But the guys that Malcolm is riding against, he seems to be quite a bit quicker than, and that's why they're all talking about it. Next up, Adam Cinturillo. And not not too much to talk about with Adam, right? It's the same old story. It's the arms, and what will his arms allow him to do in 2024? We know sky's the limit as far as ability and, and talent, but when your arms go numb and you, and you lose all your grip strength, uh, it's really hard to go fast anymore. And we saw that far too often in 2023. I don't think he's found any sort of cure or a fix for it. Let's just hope that, you know, he's done stem cell stuff. He's done all sorts of therapy. Let's just hope some of it starts to work and allows him to ride to his potential. Because when he's on, he is a joy to watch. And, and he's such a great person off the bike. You just always want to kind of cheer for Adam Cincerello. And if you don't know him, I would invite you just to kind of pay attention, look at the way he comes across on social media, listen to his interviews. Uh, the kid is truly wise beyond his years. Aaron Plessinger next. And I wrote a story about AP. It was my favorite moment of the 2023 season was getting to interview Aaron after that infamous Detroit crash. And I'm sure it wasn't his favorite moment. Uh, but for me, it was one of those interviews that kind of made my year, made my career to this point. And it's it's one of those things I'll never forget. And it also kind of convinced me I'm going to cheer for AP as long as he's racing. Now, what does he do on the racetrack? Who knows? You know, it's a really deep field. I don't think this is going to be any sort of breakout year for AP. I, I just don't. I think he'll do what he was doing. 
I think he'll be a solid top 10 guy, sometimes top five. I hope he has that breakout night like he did at Detroit. That would be awesome. Um, but I don't have any reason to think that that's a shoe in. Like, I don't think like this is the year, you know, that's, I'm not coming to you from that perspective, but I will be cheering for him because I'm, I'm a big fan. Um, I just think it's going to be more of the same. I really do. Uh, just more solid results. Hunter Lawrence next on the list, making the move to the 450 class and are a lot of questions around Hunter, you know, because I think some people have really high expectations for Hunter. I'm not one of them. I'm just kind of like, yeah, let's sort it out. Let's see how this thing goes. I think he'll be really good. But I don't have him going out and, and winning races or taking the series by storm. Some do. Some think that he's just as good as Jet. If you look at the results from 23, from his 250 class, he's like, yep, he did all the same things. He won all these races. He was a champion. He's going to jump up and be in the mix. I don't know that I'm there on that. And I have really come around on being a Hunter fan. I, I like his perspective on life. I like his maturity and the way he kind of handles his business. But that doesn't mean that I think he's going to come in and just immediately be on the podium every weekend and, and winning races. I, I, don't, I don't know. It's really, really tough for rookies to do that in this class. It's really deep. You look at the talent, how many guys have won races, the, re the returning champions, it's just a really tall ask, and I don't think it's really fair to expect that from Hunter. So we'll see. I, I'm very much coming into the, the series with Hunter as it's just let's wait and see. Jorge Prado is uh, only going to do the first three races, I believe. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see what he's, what he's got. You know, he's one of the best starters I've ever seen. So I would expect to see him up front, at least in some heats and, and maybe some main events. But pace-wise, opening lap intensity, all those things, I don't know. You know, like, he's never raced Supercross before. So for anybody that says that they know what's going to happen, I, I would say, no, you don't, <laughs> because there's no way to possibly know. Uh, he's never raced one of these things before, not even, like, off-season stuff. So he really has no experience. Now, he is a world-class talent. He is an MXGP world champion. He is a two-time MX2 world champion. So... There, there's no question about his ability to race and ride and the mental aspects and the race craft and all those things. He, he has all those things in spades. It's just a little bit of a different dynamic. And you know he's going to be nervous. It's Anaheim, right? He's never been to this race like this. And, and I'm sure he's going to have butterflies. So we'll see what that ends up looking like. The only real thing I want for him is just to stay healthy, stay safe, learn a lot, Go back, race MXGP, and then come back full-time in 25 and, and really sink your teeth into this, this series and, and pro motocross as well. Uh, but he's a really nice guy. He is a huge fan and student of American Supercross and motocross. You know, a lot of guys over there aren't. Like, they watch it, but they're not, you know, they're, they're much more engaged in the MXGP championship, as they probably should be. Prado is not. Prado is big time into America and the American scene. He, he really likes it. He's watched it. He, this was his favorite series growing up. Uh, so it's a little bit different with that versus some of the other guys that have maybe come over or thought about coming over. Christian Craig, just a couple more left. I know this is going long. Christian Craig, uh, we'll see what he's got because last year, if you remember, he came in and was just ripping in free practice in the first qualifying practice. And then he had a huge crash and hit his head and was never really right. He wasn't right for several weeks after that. And he kind of said, he's like, I just lost my confidence. Like I, I felt like I could kind of do whatever I wanted on the racetrack. I could go whatever pace I needed to go. 
And then in that crash, I, I lost that, you know, mental, uh, just the state I was in mentally. Like I just didn't have that same level of confidence in myself and that showed up in the results column. So I think he's back to where he was a year ago. You know, he's been riding, he got to prep for motocross the nations and then he's had a good off season. So I want to see what, what, what's the top end capability of Christian in this class? Because I don't think we've answered that question yet. I just kind of gave him a mulligan on 2023 and we'll start over for 2024. Dean Wilson, probably his last year in Monster Energy Supercross. I say probably because you never really know, but it's likely that this is his last run and similar to some other guys. I just want him to stay healthy. You know, I, I don't think he's going to go out and run around in the top five. I think those days are kind of over, even though he did get a podium. And he got, you know, he had good finishes at times in a very weak field at the end of the year. I don't think that's really the ask for Dean. Um, I just think he he wants to do well and be healthy, be a top 10 guy and have a, a solid last season, right? And that'll allow him to go race the offseason stuff and World Supercross and Australia again and make tons of money. That I think that's just what he wants. Just solid results finish every race, don't hurt yourself. Uh, and, and that would be good. It sounds like very, it sounds like low, kind of low bar goals. Uh, but I don't, I don't think it has to be viewed that way. You know, running around in sixth or seventh place in the 450 main event is not a gimme, right? Like that's kind of what I'm, I'm hoping for, for him. And that's going to be really, really tough when you look at the starting list. And I, we've gone through how many guys here? We have one left. We've gone through like 14 or 15 guys, you know, that that's what you're dealing with. And all these guys are super legit. Now, last but not least on, on my list here is Dylan Ferrandis. And Ferrandis, as we know, left Monster Yamaha Star Racing and went to Phoenix Honda, right? And he's, he's using factory connection suspension, was which was kind of a, a, a non-negotiable term of his deal. And he really wanted to be on a Honda no matter what. And, and I don't think I've ever seen someone so happy with a motorcycle in my life as Dylan Ferrandis was in December, period. And I, and I mean that in every sense of the word with no hyperbole at all. I've never talked to someone who loved their motorcycle that much. Um, it was just, it was kind of refreshing to be honest, because usually you get guys who are like, yeah, the bike's not great, this and that, especially in the middle of the season. Dylan was just like, man, the bike's everything I could ask for and more. I've wanted a Honda for so long and I finally have it. And he was just, he was really happy. So that was cool to see. Um, you could just see it in his eyes. You could hear it in his voice. Um, so good, good for, uh, good for Dylan on that. And that's kind of it. I uh, just want to do a little preview of, of each guy. Tell you what I thought. Uh, thank you, of course, to all the sponsors, Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Concept Coatings, Design Co., TL Speed Shop, Grant Stone Boots, Fly Racing, Pro Glow Wash, and uh, yeah, International Betamax Series, of course. So thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed a little preview. And yeah, one more week and it's go time.